Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to our webinar for practice managers. This is a podcast of the webinar recorded on Wednesday the 12th of August. So um, last week, the, or earlier this week, um, no, the end of last week, the flu vaccination letter was released by the Department of Health, which gave um, some information, but in all honesty, didn't tell us much that we weren't expecting. And there are still quite a lot of gaps. So we do know there are additional groups. So the year seven children, um, the shielded patients, plus those who live in the same household. So it doesn't mean everybody they come in contact with in Tesco is going to have one. It's just the people who live in the same house. Um, the 50 to 65 year olds who are not in the at-risk group and you are being asked uh, not to vaccinate the worried well early on. They, there are additional vaccine supplies being purchased by the government and they will make a decision in November about how much supply there is with the additional stocks that government have got to then vaccinate the 50 to 65 year olds um, in November, December time. The other people is health and social care workers. They're really keen that hospital and general practice has 100% coverage um, to protect the workers, but also the risk that poses to patients. So um, that is an occupational health requirement that's been put on organisations and general practice falls into that, looking at your staff. Um, The targets for vaccinations, as you know, some of them were 50%. All of them have been increased to 75%. But quaff isn't going to change, except you'll get double the amount of money for delivering the quaff. What you won't, the targets within quaff will remain as they are, is my understanding. So um, we know that if you currently uh, each year we do 15 million vaccinations, and we're really being asked to do 60 million this year. There will be <clears throat> input from hospitals who are going to look at the um, patients who are in patients, the patients in the liver disease or the renal disease, but already talking to the hospitals, they're not quite sure how they're going to get the stock, how they're going to vaccinate. So again, I would be sending the invitations out to all patients who are at risk. Um, In addition to that, um, there are a number of questions. So for example, how are you going to vaccinate twice as many people as you did in previous years? What is the role of the pharmacies? And what about PPE? So although there have been relatively low levels of flu in Australia and New Zealand this winter, it is still considered that if you get flu with circulating COVID, the risk to you is is significant and the risk is of dying. So they're absolutely going to push both nationally and locally the flu vaccination. And what that will mean is... General practice is probably going to be the group that's going to deliver the most of it. So if you look at pharmacies with their ability to vaccinate, then that is somewhat limited with the footfall going into their premises, but also the number of pharmacy hours, pharmacist hours they've got to deliver it. Um, There's also the care homes, and I'll come back to that. Um, And the other issue is about PPE. So at the moment, the general view is that you need to wear PPE to deliver flu vaccination and that includes a surgical mask, a um, gloves and apron. There is some discussion ongoing nationally about whether that can be downgraded so that the surgical mask, gloves and apron can be wear for the whole session rather than change between each patient and there are even some discussions going on about do you need to have gloves and an apron is a surgical mask sufficient. So I'm hoping those discussions will come to a conclusion shortly because obviously the logistics of delivering a mass flu campaign will be hugely dependent on those issues because that will significantly influence the time you take to vaccinate. There's also, we need additional capacity, we need additional people. And again, there is ongoing discussion about GP returners, people who are able to do more sessions, other members of staff and how that will be funded. And nothing has been agreed yet, but that is a a subject of ongoing discussion. Um, In terms of care homes, uh, you have been asked to make contact with care homes as a lead uh, clinician, which is largely a GP. um, And pharmacies are also 
looking at it and and they are also allowed to vaccinate or they are which we're not allowed to vaccinate all the staff in the care home so our encouragement would be in a pcn is to have some discussion with your local pharmacy there is probably more than enough work for everybody to do and see what workload you can share um, if you solely look after a care home then it might not be unreasonable that you make contact get consent and somebody goes in and does all the care home staff all the care home residents in one go and fits in any other things that you might want to do at the same time um, for hampshire uh, we, I have been having discussion with the community leads, and you'll know every year we end up with this discussion about who does the housebound patients, and the community staff say, well, they're not on our, our caseload, so we can't do them. I'm hoping, and we're just about to sign off a letter in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, that the um, Southern Health, and we haven't got Solent to agree yet, but I'm hoping that will come, um, and myself on Barclay LMC will agree that the clinical leads, i.e. being the clinical director in a CCG as well as the nurse lead will, for the community, will have a discussion and look at the patients that need to be vaccinated and come to some agreement about sharing that workload. In all the discussions about everything at the moment, health inequalities come up and what there will be some um, encouragement is that um, Practices and, and PCNs will particularly look at the vulnerable groups, but also the ones who are at risk but don't come forward, so addressing some of the health inequalities. There is also an issue with training. So um, through Louise, there is LMC training, and it is worth um, ensuring that all your staff are updated this year about the programme, what vaccinations have been given, and any issues to do with PPE, etc. Also, you'll all be well aware as practice managers of the cold chain. You'll remember in pre last year, particularly, you were able to give supplies to another practice and then they could pay you back when they got their supplies. And we know that some practices are going to get their initial delivery in mid-September, others not till early October. We're pushing that they reintroduce the, that guidance that allows that to happen because you, you will know better than I do that my understanding is that they're going to deliver all your vaccine at one go. So, you know, it may be a, a chance to share it around and utilise it um, in a more effective way. Um, I'll probably stop there. There's quite a lot more I could say about flu. Um, just communications. There is going to be a national campaign about flu vaccination. There is also going to be a local campaign, but also would encourage practices to back onto that to be able to um, advertise it to their patients as well. So I'll stop there, Louise. Happy to answer any questions. Okay, we'll just go through as they've come through in order, Nigel. Um, so I think the first one is flu vaccines um, are out of stock. We have insufficient for shielded and at risk. How do we get hold of additional supplies? And the worry is there'll be nothing at all for the over 50s by the well, time we get around to doing that. Okay, them. so they're not out of stock. You should have you should have ordered sufficient for your patients, recognising there are additional groups that have come on like the shielded patients. So there are more stocks going to become available. And I've raised that through the regional flu groups. The, the 50 to 65 year olds, I would not worry at the moment. There are millions of extra doses which have been procured, which will be released later on. And that's why they want to see how many doses are used up before November on all the people who are at greatest risk before they release it to the 50 to 65 year olds. Okay, um, will the COVID fund pay for the rental of things like halls if required um, due to COVID? Because obviously hot site, cold site, that sort of thing. So that's an ongoing discussion. So as you will know, I'll come on to it in the COVID discussion I'll have in a minute, that um, some of it, how you deliver it will depend on PPE, but some of it I know practices have looked at church halls, village halls, or even schools. Many of those, I have to say, have given it free, haven't charged for it. But if you have done that and, and paid for it, then your CCG will not give you a straight answer at the moment because they don't know whether the National COVID Fund will pay for it. But I keep the receipts. It is worth talking to the CCGs. It is, un well, I can tell you, if, you know, they are not going to rent marquees for three months uh, that cost a significant amount of money. So if it's a small amount of money, then it's quite possible you may get it reimbursed. But 
if you're thinking of spending thousands of pounds on different venues, then I suggest you have a discussion with the CCG first, because I think it's unlikely they'll fund it. Okay. Where do we stand if a clinician refuses to have a flu vaccination? That's the clinician's right, um, and you can't force them. The only thing I would say to all clinicians who are dealing with patients, there is a, a responsibility to protect yourself so that you don't pass these things on to the patient. So you can't force them, but I mean, it depends, I suppose, why they're refusing to do it. And I think, again, you know, what we said through COVID and I go through in the past, people would have struggled to work when they got flu or they got a temperature and viral illness. That absolutely should not happen anymore because if they come in and they're infectious and they pass it on, there is a liability issue. Okay, um, just some comments about delivery. Um, Zakira seem to be giving out details of when the deliveries are coming, which is obviously helpful, and some of them are separate deliveries, batches, not necessarily one in one go, so that's just information coming through. Okay, well, that's useful to know. Yeah. Um, I've asked the CCG that apparently System 1 have patient searches for flu 2021, but EMIS don't have them yet. So it's Getting the letters out soon. Well, I think, I think the, you know, the yeah. anxiety is we need it sooner rather than... Yeah, um, it was brought up on the Hampshire flu call yesterday and they were going back to chase Emis about it. Okay. So the, um, the, somebody thinks they've seen a letter saying extra doses are to be supplied by the NHS. Is that what we think is happening, Nigel? Not they, they have been bought and they will be provided. What hasn't been, uh, which will be decided in September and it hasn't been agreed yet, is how they will be distributed, whether they will remain with the suppliers and people can order extra or whether they will be purchased by Department of Health, uh, government, and then provided, you know, as some of the vaccines are at the moment. Okay, and somebody, somebody um, has contacted Sequiris, but they, um, they said they couldn't order any more at the moment. Yeah. So um, those are all the flu queries. We've got a COVID one, but I think we'll leave it to the COVID section. Okay, um, can I then move on to the phase... Uh, or should we do COVID next? So, um, as you know, the level of COVID in the community is incredibly low at the moment. Um, there are spikes in particular areas, so Cornwall, uh, parts of the Midlands and parts of the North, but not in our areas. The number of people in hospital with COVID is incredibly low, and the number of deaths that are occurring are unfortunately still very low. Clearly, looking at the pictures of Bournemouth Beach, um, and I'm sure it reflects other nice sandy beaches around, are concerning, particularly if lots of people are travelling to the area from those areas where COVID might be higher. But as yet, the transmission in schools, in swimming pools and on beaches has not been shown to make a significant impact. So, you know, when we had the Durdle Door gathering a few weeks ago and the last heat wave on Bournemouth Beach that didn't show a spike in COVID so we can um, see how things go but you know still remind people that social distancing and face coverings are still really important. The COVID letter um, again told us some things which we already knew but didn't give us any information um, or some of the questions that we we're asking so it did clarify that there would be um, support for expenses up until the 31st of March. Now, some PCT, uh, some CCGs have interpreted that, that there'll be no more money for general practice. I don't think that's the case. I think at the moment, Treasury is in a position needing to be convinced what additional resources general practice will need. Certainly, there are additional resources that will be going into secondary care, but that sum of money is capped. So we still don't know what's going to happen so quaff is being amended. So we know that some bits are points are frozen and there's double points for flu vaccination and screening, but we don't know quite what that means. And we hope we'll get some more information next week. And I've got Chris Casaneri, who's the GP, one of the GPC negotiators, who's going to join us on the LMC news update web webinar next week. Also, when you look at the purchasing of PPE, I firmly believe and I keep kept lobbying nationally that practices should not pay for PPE. That's a COVID-related expense. So I, I am expecting that there will be more reimbursement for that, but it just hasn't been announced at the moment. 
Um, and the same, the funding of hot sites and what that might mean if we need additional capacity going forward. All of those things are uh, up for discussion and debate. And if you ask the CCGs, they don't know the answer yet because it's a, a national decision. Um, as we go forward, um, I've, uh, I've been on one of the regional recovery and restoration groups and made it very strong um, bid for general practice when they talk about um, what needs to be done, that obviously you're prepared for the COVID work. So if we do get a second spike, how you'll manage those people. There's also the massive requirement for flu vaccination and double the amount of people. Um, the COVID vaccination is likely to come become available in the late autumn, early next year. And that's likely to be two doses based um, at intervals of a month. So if you think of 60 million population times two, so 30 million flu vaccination against 120 million COVID um, is a major logistical challenge. That may not all fall to general practice, but I can't see how they can do that without general practice involvement. There's obviously the shielded patients who now have ended but still require some ongoing care. There are the care homes. There's the non-COVID restoring of services with PPE, both routine and urgent, and the backlog of disease that I might present. They want you to get the screening up and running, uh, the immunizations, and then there's the little management of long-term conditions, all of which is a real challenge for general practice. So when I saw a regional discussion that didn't involve primary care, I went back with a long list of things that they need to consider, which is why going forward, not only do you need your normal capacity, I believe you'll need additional capacity to be able to deliver that. So I'm expecting more information to come out. I think the COVID letter was a decision at a point in time when they had that information, but you can be assured that both through LMCs and GPC that we'll be pushing for greater funding and more information. The only other thing I would say is there's been quite a lot of um, discussion on the national list service about face covering and face masks. So our view is that patients who come into the surgery should be wearing face coverings, that I wouldn't be turning people away and say, we won't offer care if you haven't got a face covering. But I think the strength of the message increases if you're in a hot site or COVID is circulating. I certainly think patients should be um, encouraged strongly. And if you think they're a significant risk to your staff, then you may work with the patient to offer care in a different way to face to face. The other bit of advice which has come out recently is all staff in practices should be wearing type one or type two face masks and not face coverings to not only protect them, but also protect patients. Um, so that's all I've got about COVID, Louise, unless there are any questions. You're on mute. Oh, no, there are, yeah, there are a few questions. I was just, sorry, distracted by Helene coming in twice there. So um, there's a, obviously people are agreeing with you, Nigel, but the national portal for PPE needs to work, which is not always the case. Agree entirely. And PPE is one of the major issues. I mean, again, I've given a blunt warning to people regionally and nationally. If we don't have the PPE to deliver the care and we don't have the capacity, we'll bunker down and deliver the essential care we need to. And that will mean the rest of the system will have a negative impact because people will be seeking care elsewhere. So yeah. if they want the system to work this winter, they don't want to just focus on hospitals. Okay, just point of interest, there's a COVID spike in Swindon at the moment. Um, be, be, be careful what you mean by a spike. So we knew there was a 70% increase in Southampton, which went up from two cases to five cases. So if there's a mm -hmm. spike in Swindon, before you... Um, spread that around and all lock yourself away for two weeks just find out how many cases there are okay i'm not i'm not saying that might not be the case but it, it just all depends you know i think in dorset there's they're looking at three cases per hundred thousand so if that goes up to six cases that's a hundred percent increase but it's not a lot of covid around um so when when will we get finished cap definitive clarity on the minimum PPE requirements for flu vaccines? So who's asked that question? An anonymous attendee. Uh, I'm not surprised you're anonymous because I think you, all the practice managers are savvy enough to know I can't answer that. Um, when would I like it? I'd have liked it last week and maybe the week before, but that's not just because I'm an impatient so-and-so, but you all need that information. We need that information. 
but until you know you you've got um playing in this this arena you've got not only uh you know number 10 the cabinet office um department of health nhs england the local authorities all are you know and if you look at the local resilience forum the lrf they've got the police the fire the ambulance service all those involved so to try and make some of these decisions uh, and that's before they include the bma the rcgp and others but i i mean i have made it as clear as i possibly can that you know having that decision in october is just no good whatsoever we need that now so that um as practices and you know hopefully practices working with their pcns can put these things in place and get the logistics done so i would hope and i promise you um every flu meeting i keep pushing it back and i i keep pushing it back nationally as well okay um this might be something that carol might be aware of will the devizes hot hub be reopening again soon do you have any information on that carol no not at the moment it's not likely to open until it's needed um and at the moment i'm not being told it's needed but if somebody knows something then do contact me offline and we can have a look at it no that's that's correct i think that's true of and and at the other areas they're planning for it and you know if you look at the, the first phase of the covid it was uh, there i say a test run which general practice passed with flying colors so i think they can step them you know they'll look to step them up if those numbers start increasing i mean the other thing i didn't say earlier my one of my major concerns is just think to the winter months when particularly december january february you have um younger people with pyrexias so you know i reckon probably talking to gps 30% of our workload over the winter months is winter viral infections so if you add that to have i got covid haven't i got covid oh i need a test because i might need to self isolate for two weeks i don't think they'll all go through the test and trace system so again that's an issue that's been raised about you know do we have the hot sites for people who have you know pyrexials and we deal with them through their still a lot of discussion going on about that and um, a lot of concerns about the real pressure about donning and doffing and everything else and getting back to normal there's been a number of comments about the concern of that but i think you have mentioned that and i know you're pushing that wherever you can yeah. um elsewhere um a little bit about ccg funding would you say ccg should fund an occupational health assessment for a nurse she was shielding clinicians said you shouldn't see face to face they haven't got any work for her so then the, the the practice would like to send her for an occupational health um, assessment shouldn't the ccg fund that so the lmc's view is there is an occupational health service for gps but it's not funded to do covid work um what we said to the ccgs is we don't expect them to fund an occupational health service for the risk assessment of every member of staff in wessex but what we would expect is if there are people like this who on a one off basis um potentially would like to come back but the practice need an occupational health because of covid then our view is we don't think it's reasonable that practice should pay for it it should be a covid expense and we have said to ccgs that we think they should fund that um they haven't all agreed one or two have agreed but they haven't all agreed with us i have to say i raised it with bsw at a meeting earlier this week and they did agree so and dorset but dorset have actually organized an occupational health um facility through their community trust of Dorset Healthcare so it is as Nigel said talk to CCG but they 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 get it they know it 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 shouldn't be down to practice and and whoever's done that if you're not in BSW or Dorset or you're not getting a come to us um because it depends who you ask in the CCG and if you don't if you don't get the answer we can potentially help you i won't guarantee that but uh, we're here to serve and if um very willing I learned, nurse, I learned that from Carol she <laughs> quite right oh it's been so focused for so long it's all gone wrong now um so there's one nurse who's very kindly offered to do an extra 5 hours a week to cope with the increasing capacity but ccg won't on that do you feel they should to the practice pressure on them um i i would like to say yeah they should do it in every practice i was on a webinar nationally this morning pushing the the nhs should fund some extra capacity so it's quite hard to see how one practice would get that and not everybody and there isn't the funding there at the moment to do that 
So much as I would be supportive of everyone getting the additional stuff, I, I, I can see why CCG won't necessarily just do it in one practice. The trouble is that they, they referred to additional staff, didn't they, in that letter, but then didn't say where they were coming from, who was so, so what they're looking at is the returners and the people that aren't working in the CCAS service and the increasers and potentially other staff. So they, they know the cohort they're looking at and what they haven't agreed and is still under discussion is if they could get those, how would they be funded yeah. and how much would that cost? And also, because we had the same problem, didn't we, with the returners increases with the CCAS, who's going to hold the contract, what does it mean, yeah. uh, where's yeah. the pay come from, is scouts immediately yeah. almost collapsed because it was too big for them. It's all quite simple until Carol gets involved and then she ever complicates it. <laughs> oh, um, they're the nicest things, Nigel, I'm so happy. Um, there's a feeling of exhaustion. The increased telephone calls, also back to normal, also with COVID, also with flu, it feels that admin and managers are being left behind, especially with pay. Perhaps managers are done, they're exhausted. What's the light at the end of the tunnel there, Nigel? Well, there's a thunderstorm coming tonight, so that'll clear the air, so you'll feel less exhausted. So it's, it'll all be great. So, um, you know, it is recognised. I think um, I think it is it is easy to focus COVID on hospitals and ignore general practice. It's easy to focus on the GPs and forget the nurses, and it's even easier to forget the practice managers and the the admin staff who, without you guys um, doing the stuff to support the GPs, the whole system would fall to pieces. Um, I haven't got, you know, I mean, you, you need to look after yourselves. So we know that the way of working at the moment does take its toll on people, particularly on their mental health. Um, people do need downtime. So I know some practice managers who haven't have had a day off since the beginning of it because their practice would fall to pieces without them. I mean, I would encourage people to, to take some downtime um, and take some time off to recharge your batteries and recuperate. Um, I think the, you know, probably until Easter of next year, once we get through COVID, we've got the mass vaccination and, and people have covered, it's going to be really tough. Um, it's not going to be an, an easy time unless, you know, with a bit of luck, COVID might remain at a quite a low level. It might even peter out. But if you look at other countries around the world, that doesn't seem to be the case. And all you need is somebody coming from another country to reintroduce it and the R number goes up and it spreads. So there's, there's no easy answer. But I would also encourage practice managers to talk to their partners. Um, and I mean their partners at work, not their partners at home. Um, because I think practice managers are generally pretty stoical and just get on with it and don't always, when I talk to GPs and talk about the plight of practice managers and how um, you need to think about saying thank you, that's a job well done. Um, I think it's almost taken for granted at times. So I think it is worth you talking, you know, if you're really, you know, if you're really under the cosh or even if you're not, you can still talk to them. But I think it's really worth sharing the burden that's on you, not just on the GPs. And I think I think one of the things that that's, um, struck me, Nigel, is a lot of the practice manager forums have sort of fallen away a little bit. Some have kept going, but remotely, and they are, and it's not quite the same as being in a room with somebody and having a quiet word. What I would say to you is, and I'm sure Louise is going to back me up on this one, there is some coaching and mentoring available to you, and you don't have to be somebody that's struggling. It may well be that you've gone to lunch again. Um, it may well just be that you just want to talk to somebody who understands what you're going through. Our PM supporters are still there. There's coaching and mentoring available. Lots of people are availing themselves of it. And I know you'll be thinking, I haven't got the time for that. I really haven't got Honestly, if you make the time, and it doesn't have to be very much, an hour a month, something like that, just to talk through and get it off your chest and what it is that's bothering you, honestly, it, it's worth it. And Nigel's right, take, take some time. You need it. Yeah, our practice manager supporters can also run little bite-sized sessions for you if they wanted to. They can do it over Zoom. So if you've got a group of you together, or even if it's just two or three of you all within your practice, talk about delegation and priorities and time management and just get some time to reflect and think um, and get your head back, back because it, it, an hour of your time is really very, very valuable. And there are, as you know, the practice manager supporters know your job. They do your job. They do understand exactly where you are. Um, so if you want any more information, please, lots on our website, but please contact me and I'm happy to talk about it. 
And, and all, I, all I would ask is nobody talk to my wife about downtime, please, because I'm already in enough trouble. I say she's probably ready to lynch you, isn't she? That's one thing, one thing she's threatened. I think that's why he's turning his camera on, I think, Right. Uh, Standard Flu Clinic worried about uh, vaccinations. There's going to double because of the timing, staffing costs. Is that something that our flu calculator can help with, Dawn? Is that yeah. something that people can... Yeah, the calculator, the calculator, I know my name's not Dawn, sorry Dawn, um, you can put it in the calculator, but in all honesty, um, you can do some of the, I mean, if I was you, I would put the figures through, if we had to wear full PPE, what does it mean? If we were to able to wear PPE for the whole session, what would that mean? And if anybody has got the time to do it, and wants to email me with what the difference is in terms of capacity would be probably helpful in some of our discussions when we're pushing quite hard nationally but you know I'm always an optimist as some of you may know but I would hopefully hope that they will sort the PPE issue out we need to do it safely but in all honesty if they keep the full PPE and I don't know how practices are going to be able to deliver twice as many flu vaccinations I mean looking at it um, my calculation, the extra 15 million doses equates to about 400 flu vaccinations per GP. And I know GPs don't do all of them, but, you know, that's um, that's the reality of it. The other thing I would encourage, I know some GPs won't like it, but I would really encourage your GPs and nurses to opportunistically vaccinate people when they come into the surgery. Um, I used to do it. Uh, I was quite happy to do it. Um, but I know some of my partners said they're much better going to the food clinic and wouldn't do it. But, you know, minimise the footfall if you can. Um, comment for you, Dawn. Brilliant flu calculator. So that's good. because obviously people have used it and loved it. Um, but does it include the additional cohorts that have come out now? So the 50 plus? Hi. No, that's um, that's the section. I have to talk to Lizzie about that. Um, it doesn't include the um, additional cohorts. However, when you're in the costing part, you don't need to know which the cohorts are. You just need to know how many people, you know, as a, a whole amount um, to, to actually input the, the numbers. So you don't need to know which cohort they're in. You just need the numbers. Lovely. Thank you, Dawn. Um, and, and, I, and I would say it was a fantastic bit of work that was done. Um, if any of you were on the NHS England webinar last week that Nikki Kanani and um, it used to be Ed Waller, but one of his um, deputies was doing it last week um, in the tools that were available top of the list was the Wessex LMC flu toolkit so well done to the team for the work they did on that. Absolutely and just final on, on flu there are some surplus IA GPS funds in some areas perhaps these could be used for additional resources being put into flu clinics or additional cohorts. Sorry, Sorry what funds? IA GPS? Somebody clarify. We, we remember that the current um, NHS only allows three letter acronyms. Well, if the person will know who put it in, they want to give us improving more access, Improving access to GPs. Well, the, the CCGs have got absolute ring fence budgets and runs are a bit loose. So if the CCGs have got money like that, they could potentially use it. Okay. Um, just a couple of the sort of, a little bit of statistics for Swindon. There seem to be more than just a, a couple of people there. There's statistics there if you want to see them. You can all see the Q and A's. Um, one comment was hot tub has remained open. Um, so how are their practices managing? And I'm sure they're doing different things. And we can give you some more information on that. I think if you want it. So um, do you want to carry on with your next section, Nigel? Please. Yeah, just about the phase three letter, which again, you know, having read it um, with eager anticipation. Um, what was noticeable was the lack of information. So most of the phase three letter relates to secondary care. So it's producing some, there's very little for general practice, except please address health inequalities. There are targets for acute trusts to actually return to normal levels of activity in outpatients, elective day case and inpatients and urgent care by October um, and diagnostics starting off at 80% up to 100%. So um, I sit on the planned care board in Hampshire and it's true to say the acutes are having the EBGBs about how they're possibly going to get to those sort of levels with um, the um, present COVID plus PPE. But in a way, they're sort of targets which are making them think differently and making them do things differently. 
And that will have an impact on general practice because if, I mean, I know that the lack of access to services causes a problem. Diagnostics, one thing, but if you can't refer people to outpatients or there's a long wait, patients keep coming back. So those things in the phase three letters are useful in terms of secondary care, um, but also are important for us to be able to access those services. But there isn't very much in the phase three letters. The other bit which is in there, which comes through as a major theme is cancer. The, the cancer two-week referrals went down by um, 75%. They're now back up. Wessex is doing better. So that's Dorset and Will, uh, Dorset and Hampshire are doing better than any other cancer alliance. We're back up to 92%. Um, but they are trying to get people back to 100%. So just, just would encourage practice managers to talk with the GPs. And if you're having problems with the fast-track two-week waits or there are issues, just let us know. We think some of it is because patients just aren't presenting as much. Also recognizing that using video consultation is not as easy as face-to-face. You don't pick up so many cues, so that may have an impact, but uh, that's also being looked at. So that's that's all I want to say about the phase three letters. Um, can I answer one of the questions in the box, please, Louise? The golden handshakes for practice managers is still under discussion. So um, the new to partnership scheme um, is out there um, and the LMC is developing the training program or a training program that will be offered. We know there are a number of GPs have come forward and the um, details of the scheme have been published. As yet, um, the how practice managers will play into that is still being discussed. I would suggest to you politely that the beginning of this was they wanted more clinicians because of the lack of GPs in general practice and to stabilize it. Um, many of us have made the point that having the number of partners is also what stabilizes it. So it's not just about GPs and it's not just about additional nurses. It does mean having practice managers as partner partners is also a key point. So those things are all being discussed. There are no more particular questions about that, um, Nigel. Okay, I'll leave you to ask the questions later. Um, so that's the that's the COVID, that's the phase three letters. Um, primary care fellowships are the next thing I wanted to talk. So part of the review I did on the partnership model of general practice, I recommended that we should have these primary or GP fellows. And my view was they should be a two-year appointment, fully funded by the NHS, six sessions working in a PCN, rotating around practices, a session for protected education reflection time, and a couple of sessions a week to develop um, interest, clinical interests, which would be of value to the patients of where they work and prepare them for developing uh, the provision of other services going forward. So um, NHS England thought it was a fantastic idea, so announced it in the long-term plan before I published the review, but um, that was a flattery rather than I was um, perturbed about that. But it's taken some time for the NHS to publish their primary care fellowships. Now, it's not quite with the money that I had hoped, but what they are going to do is this will be offered to any newly qualified GP from the 1st of August this year and any newly qualified nurse that comes into general practice. They will have a funded session per week of mentoring, CPD, and then development work. So they'll have to be working in a practice as a salary doctor or as a partner. Um, there is also a um, paragraph about them rotating around roles within the PCN in the first six months. What is unclear is exactly what that means, if that will be funded, um, and we're seeking clarification about that at the moment, and I'll come back to you uh, with that. We're also talking to Health Education England and the training hubs about quite what all this means for general practice. So if you take the new for partnership schemes, the primary care fellowships, the GP mentors who are GPs towards the end of their career who are mentoring the GP fellows, these are all part of the... Um, package of trying to recruit and retain GPs going forward. So I'll again stop there, Louise.
Okay, thanks, Nigel. Just some comments really about staffing and morale m more than anything. A few good ideas about offering um, a league table for opportunistic flus. Um, thank you, Card and Aboucher, for staff because keeping the admin people on side is really important. Um, just, I don't know whether this is tongue in cheek. Can we claim under the COVID fund for a staff thank you, for example, a barbecue? No. Um, and then just some comments about people who've done 23, 22 years as a practice manager and perhaps it. Um, They'd like a golden thank you or a golden handshake, Nigel. If you could just tell that to Boris, that would be great. Um, I think I think that was all. I think um, Carol, if you if you go on to you, I don't know whether, what you've got. No, I've got one more thing. Oh, well, sorry, I thought one you finished it, Nigel. I'm so sorry. No, no. One more thing was NHS One One First, which is um, an initiative which you'll read quite a lot about. Most of it has been negative, but actually locally, I don't think it has been that negative. So the idea is to try and address the long waits in casualty and the inappropriate people turning up to casualty and everything being seems to be go to your GP or go to casualty. Being piloted in Portsmouth will be rolled out across the whole of Hampshire by December. Um, and the idea is the patients are encouraged to phone 111 first. They will then speak to a clinician who will then triage them to the right place. So in Portsmouth, there's nine new dispositions so it isn't that everybody will either go to A&E or to general practice. Some will have a booked appointment in A&E. Some will be booked into other appointments within the hospitals to direct them elsewhere. And some patients are inappropriately in A&E and should be going to general practice. So they've had a soft launch in Portsmouth and we haven't had a lot of negative feedback. Currently, it seems to be working reasonably well. But obviously, we're keeping an eye on it and we're seeing how it works both locally and nationally. So I am now finished. Marvellous. Thank you very much, Nigel. Um, Carol. Um, shall I go to Lisa first? Because, um, Lisa, you've been having quite a lot of queries about med threes, haven't you? Um, do you want to just cover that? Yeah, and I was just going to add, just, um, I know me and I just covered face, covering face masks. Um, there's some up-to-date guidance that was published on the 7th of August. I just wanted to check. Dawn, have we put that on the website yet, or can we upload it? Because that just summarises it really nicely, doesn't it? So I just wanted to mention that. So yes, on um, FitNotes, just had some queries in around that, particularly around patients or um, family members or members of the household rather um, required to self-isolate before a hospital stay. There is no requirement for practices to provide a FitNote for them. Uh, we would suggest that if they provided their employer with, if they, assuming they can't work from home, if they provide their employer with a copy of the hospital letter, that should set out the requirement to self-isolate and the employer should act reasonably. So that should be sufficient. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. Okay. I've only got a, um, a, a couple of things just to catch you up on and I can see we're running out of time and I'm sure we've got some more questions. So um, just very quickly, I just want to, I think some PCNs have already started to discuss this, but just to um, mention accelerated recruitment of social prescribing link workers. There is some funding available now for their induction, um, actually helping you to recruit and, um, uh, you know, make uh, do, do the um references and dbs checks etc etc there are two options one is if where you have a third party doing this for you so i know some people daughter use help and, and care uh, wiltshire may use wiltshire field there are other um third parties doing it it's open to them but it's also open to individual pcns um, it is time limited. Um, expressions of interest have to be in quite quickly, but not with much detail, um, Monday 24th of August. So we'll put this link um, with the FAQ from this webinar so that if you weren't aware of it or you haven't discussed it in your PCN, um, it's definitely worth uh, getting a move on with. That was number one. Um, number two, I just wanted to mention the upgrade to the EPS phase four. Um, this is designed to significantly reduce the need for hand signing prescriptions and dealing with lost prescriptions. They basically, uh, the prescription sits in the cloud and it can be drawn down by any pharmacy with the patient who goes in. It's definitely worth encouraging patients to nominate a pharmacy, but if they don't, you can still use this system. So again, we'll put the link um, so that you can read more about it 
I'm not going to go into huge detail because I'll bore you to death. Um, one of the other things that, that's come out of the blue to me, but good old Dawn, as usual, is on the ball and has found it. And that's something about making online public services accessible. This means that your website has to be accessible to anybody with any sort of protective characteristic in such a form that they're going to be able to use it. And this has got to be in place by the 23rd of September. Um, also, if you've got an app, you've got till 23rd of June 2021 to also make that accessible. Again, um, this is for all public bodies and, and GP practice accounting as public bodies. So again, we'll put the link to it um, with the FAQ so that you can have a look. Hopefully, you're all pretty well there, but you do need to, to make sure um, that, that you are meeting the, the standards. So and translate that into English, Carol. What does that mean? It means that anybody that um, wants to look at your website has got to be able to do it in a way that they can. So if they've got a learning disability or if they've got a mental health problem or anything like that. You've got so if they're a, deaf or blind? I don't know. I haven't read that closely, Nigel. That's okay, okay. Link. Okay, link. okay, okay. Take a chill <laughs> pill. I was just asking. <laughs> I know, final one I just wanted to talk to you about was we've been asking you to to alert us to um, issues you've still got with PCSE um, because we're escalating them through the GPC because that is our only method we knew we would overwhelm the GPC we warned them we would overwhelm them they've come back with a little moan they said we're escalating things that you haven't actually made a complaint about they can only escalate at that point so if you put in something to PCSE, you will get your CAS reference number. You have to wait 40 days for a resolution. After 40 days, you need to fill in one of the PCSE complaints logs. Once you've sent that complaints log, you can then escalate it to us. So basically, you've got to do your in initial 40 days and then a complaint. Once you've done the complaint, we can help you. Okay. Is that a real? Is that a real forty days, or is that an NHS forty days? Oh, do you know you're in a mood today? I don't know what you've had for your lunch. It's a it's a real forty days. Oh, okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> really helpful. <laughs> I'm so going to smack you when I see you. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. Thanks, that's great, Carol. Thanks. Can I, uh, another thing to mention, which came out yesterday, which is the additional roles reimbursement. So they've now included nursing associates as being um, as part of the additional roles. So if you don't know what a nursing associate is, join the club of about um, every other uh, person in the UK. But if you look at the website, it is a new role. You've heard of physicians associate. They are developing this role called nursing associates, which is different to an HCA. But they will be included in the um, additional roles. Nigel, can we bring Helene in here, who I think might be giving us a little bit more information on that? Helene, you're on mute at the moment. Sorry. Hi. And there is actually, we've just updated a section on our website around the nurse associate role, so it will talk you through um, the, the training, sort of the level of training they have and what they can actually undertake. Um, they can now undertake psychocytology, um, interestingly. Child immunisation has yet been put on the list, um, but it's... Are there any of these people around, Louis, um, Helene? Yes, there are. There are a few, actually. I think there's one or two in Wiltshire, and there's um, one in Hampshire, and I think they are increasing, actually, in numbers. So they tend to be what we call level four um, nurses. The bridge between HCAs and the uh, registered nurse. Thanks, Helene. While we've got you, is there anything you wanted to add about flu? I know you're working hard directly with the nurses and you did a great webinar with them. Is there anything particular that you think would be helpful to share with the practice managers from a nursing point of view at the moment? We've had quite a few queries coming around um, through about um, who can actually vaccinate and HCAs and training. And, you know, the, the national guidance and it is guidance says that you're supposed to be at level three or be two years qualified um, post you know, in general practice or whatever. Um, our response to that really is it's about safe practice and it's ensuring the individual is competent and capable um, and they have ongoing clinical supervision. So it is guidance only, the two years post um, 
appointment. So it's up to the practice individually really to um, do a risk assessment and you know, decide whether that person is competent and capable to carry out that procedure. And I know that you've just sent out a um, e-learning module, haven't you, for flu, which I think is around all practices, because obviously face-to-face training can't take place at the moment, um, and there are other options to do it. And Dawn and I updated our webpage on um, the training that's come through nationally. Um, so that's the webpage. Thanks, Sabine. Yeah, we're doing some introduction to um, four HCOs to flu. Um, those are day courses which we're doing online, which are in September. We've got a couple of places to go for that. We're also doing a half-day update, um, again, online if people want to um, partake in that. And, yeah, I sent around the e-learning for health, um, e- um, free e-learning that's come out. Um, and that's always been it's highly um, highly recommended. People think it's excellent. Our trainers have done it. Um, and, Helene, I think you, you've seen you've seen it and done it, haven't you? And I think, I think it really is thought to be excellent for the whole nursing team written by the Department of Health. So I'd recommend that as well. So there are lots of options for you, but I know there's a huge amount on your plate at the moment. So there aren't any actually other questions. I think just some very nice comments. Thank you. Um, we enjoy doing these. and we, We're glad you appreciate what we do. We do try hard for you. And um, yeah, we know it's really tough for you. Um, there is, are there webinars- is one question. There is one question there, Louise, about are the webinars going to carry on after COVID? We are planning to carry on as long as they're useful. I mean, there are 83 of you dialed in today, so obviously it is useful for some of you. As long as you're finding them helpful, we will carry on doing them. As you know, they're not regularly every week now, but we're offering something most weeks. Um, And next week, Nigel's hosting an LMC News update, um, which is for GPs and practice managers. And then we'll be back um, later on. So we'll keep you posted. um, But as long as they're useful, we will carry on doing them in some shape or form. And as I say, they are being recorded. Listen to them as an audio podcast if you wanted to. And we'll put the FAQs also on the website. So um, thank you very much, everybody. That's been great. Oh, Carol, sorry, did you want to say something? Just to say, Louise, um, I've been talking to the medical directors here because we are conscious that we used to go round to a lot of practice manager forums. And whilst we can cover things on this forum that are fairly generic, I know we often say this is happening in Hampshire, this is happening in Dorset, this is happening in BSW. What I'm talking to the medics about is arranging something um, maybe just bi-monthly or something like that, where where the relevant director of primary care, so either myself, Lisa or Michelle, with the medical director for that area, we are actually going to set up a practice manager online forum for that particular area so that we can look into more things around an individual CCG or PCN rather than as generic as this. But we will, you're right, we'll keep doing these, but we think it might be worthwhile um, being a little bit more, uh, you know, localised as well on occasion. Yeah, yeah. So can I gate crash some of those then, Carol? Um, I or am I excluded? Only on the days when I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Nigel, everybody loves to see you. <laughs> you say that with real feeling. <laughs> I had my fingers, toes, and my eyes crossed, but anyway. <laughs> Well, the joy of this format is that we can be flexible, can't we? So we'll just provide what people need at the time. I'm sure more specific forums will be really helpful too. So thank you, Lisa Dawn, um, Helene, Carol and Nigel. um, And thank you all for um, participating and we will see you all very soon. Thank you. Well done, team. Very good. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.